Why hello there you. Before you get on and listen to this latest episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you have enough Myrtleade in your life? If the answer is no, did you know that you can get exclusive access to two whole previous seasons, dozens of exclusive episodes and a catalogue of minisodes? All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com forward slash Myrtleade spelt M-U-R-D-E-R-L-A-I-D-E and join our Patreon family. For as little as five bucks a month, you get more Myrtleade than your strange mind can handle. The more you pledge, the more you get. Seriously, guys, that is like a single cup of coffee per month and you help support me as a creator and you help keep this podcast an ad-free zone. Because, you know, there has to be one space in our lives that's ad-free. Okay, on with today's offering. there my strange ones and welcome back to Myrtleade the podcast. Didn't I get you all fired up last week? Whoa! My social media blew its own fucking head off. Someone working in the algorithms is gonna think I am a fucking Kardashian with all the traffic you guys are putting through my socials having your say. Yeah I knew this was gonna be a hard one. Both sides of the debate surrounding the siege are passionate and like as well they should be. Those of you who are angry, I have not yet talked about the victims or police incompetence. Hold your horses. It is coming. But this is not a sprint. This is more like a podcast marathon. Do we understand the behind the scenes and stuff? I feel it unfair to judge like what the police did and stuff like that. There were a lot of, there was a lot of mismanagement, but I'm not there yet. Jumping ahead serves none of us. First up, I want to give a giant verbal and virtual hug to Mel, Emma and Annie, the new admins of the Murderlade the Podcast listener page on Facebook. These badasses are volunteers and they're also patrons. So everyone, please be thoughtful and kind. And ladies, the three of you, thank you for the effort and the support. I hope everyone is playing nice and I'm sorry for in advance for the shit that's probably going to go down because I'm going to continue to plow through this material on Man Haran Monas. Uh, it may be a shitstorm, so thanks for holding the flood for me, ladies. You rock my world. Now, if you're wondering how can I binge more Myrtleade, how can I get more of Anne's voice directly into my brain? The answer is simple, Patreon. On Patreon, there are dozens of exclusive patron-only crimes, microsodes on the missing, and two entire back seasons that are now exclusive only to patrons. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash Myrtleade 
and make your pledge. And for as little as five bucks, you can be swimming in all the awful contents of my mind. It's like the same as a cup of coffee, oh, and the bitter taste will last way longer. This podcast contains graphic depictions of violence, salty language, and poor grammar. For those of you who are pissed that I didn't use a trigger warning in my last episode, please take responsibility for your own mental health and stop blaming me for your triggering. This podcast isn't rainbows and fucking unicorns. Listen to something soothing instead of me. May I recommend LeVar Burton Reads. His silky smooth voice puts me to sleep every goddamn time. Sources for today's episode are the ABC Four Corners two-part special simply entitled The Siege, from the SBS News website, How the Siege Unfolded, from The Guardian, Sydney Cafe Siege, A Timeline of Events, an article by Claire Bloomer for the ABC News titled Man Monis's Girlfriend, Amira Duradis, Sentenced to 44 Years Jail, an article from The Australian by Natasha Beta from the 17th of December 2014, Deranged, Monis granted citizenship in 2004. Arash Aziz wrote an article for the Minoto One called Exclusive, The Sydney Siege Taker Had Fled Iran After a $200,000 Fraud Case. From the Aussie Leader, Siege Gunman Dropped Off Watch List. From the Yahoo News, from the 16th of December 2014 by Paul Biddy, Lint Cafe Siege Gunman Once Had luxurious life in Tehran funded by scam involving Iranian government from the Sydney Morning Herald yet again um, by Tim Elliott an article called Martin Place gunman deranged deluded and dangerous and then from the Sydney Morning Herald again Sydney siege from uh, by Lorna Knowles for the ABC News Sydney siege man behind Martin Place standoff was Iranian man Haron Monis, who had a violent criminal history. <sighs> Anyone else feel like that was really heavy? Everything about this one feels really heavy. So when we last left off last week, I was banging on about politics. It's really hard to escape in this case because our mentally defunct perpetrator is kind of a would-be politician. The man born as Muhammad Hassan Mantegi Bujadi, that's so bad, oh my god, um, and is now calling himself Ayatollah Magedi Bujadi, didn't want to do any of the pesky work or study or research that's required to actually be a politician, and he was also a nutter. So he just decided to inject himself into all of these highly inflammatory political debates with publicity stunts. So the guy calling himself Ayatollah now, he had arrived in Australia in 1996 and he'd come under intense scrutiny by ASIO several times in the 18 years he resided in Oz. His first application for a protection visa in 1996 was rejected with the statement, quote, indirectly a risk to Australian national security, end quote. And then one year later, he is granted a protection visa. What changed? Falsely claiming to be an authority on Islam and all things spiritual, Bojerdi, as I will continue to call him because he can make up as many identities as he want, but he cannot escape that he is Muhammad Bojerdi. Uh, it's who he is. 
So a whopping four months after his visa is granted, he starts a prolonged campaign against the Australian government. He goes on public radio and eventually chains himself dramatically to polls or other things. He's kind of got this dress up as a cleric, chain myself to a pole, hold up a piece of paper thing going on. So apparently he forgets that wife and those children that he has been working on trying to get over here and that's the whole reason he changed himself to a pole in the first place. Um, Borgetti is now starting to work on his next scam and his next victims. By the way, this dude is not doing all of this in a vacuum. So he's married and then he's left his Iranian wife. Um, he was so in love with, you know, until he wasn't. He went on that epic one day hunger strike, let's not forget, while chained to a pole. But he's also dating. Nolene Hasten Powell was a stunning Fijian Indian woman living in Sydney with her family. She met a man calling himself Marcus, but this is actually our douchebag Bourgerdi. And he was working as what he called a spiritual healer. His charm and charisma really had her on the hook from the first meeting. She was like this bubbly, upbeat brunette. Marcus, as he was then called, arrived for dates in Mercedes and took her on lavish outings. And he also observed all of her family's Muslim customs and traditions. Like while he's wooing this woman who is 20 years his junior. He had all the outward appearances of being the successful sheik he was claiming then to be. In reality, Bourgeoisie is running a pretty successful business scam that he's calling a black magic practice. Um, He claims to be able to physically and spiritually heal people with some pretty bizarre and convoluted rituals, and he's made them up from all different sources. He's preying on people who are vulnerable to that sort of twaddle. Like in particular, he's preying on women who are having problems in their love lives or problems conceiving, and they're either too scared to seek medical treatment or investigation because of like a fear of doctors and science stuff, or because they have really strict spiritual beliefs, or because they believe there is something deeply wrong with them. His MO is pretty shrewd. It's money up front and he would get the demons or whatever was floating around in there in your body out and he was pretty well studied of the Quran and of other spiritual texts and he could pull out quotes to back up this so-called healing. He particularly showed his hatred for women in this because he would tell pretty much any woman who worked walked through the door that they were cursed and then he would search through their lives to provide or manufacture evidence to support the belief that they were cursed. So Bojerdi would advertise his spiritual healing services in all these minority community newsletters like the Fiji Times or like Spanish-speaking magazines and local Greek newspapers. He was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year by 2001 to 2002, and that's just the money he's putting through the books for tax. Let's not play stupid and imagine that the majority of his clients were not paying cash because we all know that's what you fucking do when you go to see a black magic healer, right? No one wants that on their tax record. He would then make sexual assault of the woman as part of either her treatment or her payment for healing. Most women were too ashamed to speak out against this spiritual leader or they were scared to bring the curse that he had basically raped out of her body back upon herself. Many of his victims were silent for years. Let's face it, 
most of them are probably still silent and ashamed. He told one woman that her husband was being unfaithful and she had cervical cancer. But don't worry, fair maiden, I can rape that out of you. As part of her, quote, treatment, he would have sex with her to extinguish the evil inside her. She reported the rape to Wetherill Park Police, but there was no investigation, which indicates to me that she most likely made a statement, but backed away from charging him. Marcus, as he was calling himself, was so fucking cocky. He took photographs and more often than not videotaped himself sexually assaulting women as his own personal porn stash. Eventually, 43 charges of indecent sexual assault and aggravated sexual assault and molestation were laid against Marcus the Healer. When police found his porn stash, a task force putting a case together to put him behind bars thought they'd like hit the jackpot, right? But that's all further in the future. For now, business is going well. He's dating Nolene and this gives him a status. It's provided him the envy of other men because he's like this old, bald, kind of chubby, unattractive guy. And he has a young, beautiful lady. Eventually, the couple decide to get married. I can't find out if Nolene ever knew that their marriages were illegal because he was still married. Yes, I said marriages. So these guys had two lavish wedding ceremonies in Sydney. They had a modern Aussie wedding, complete with an elaborately frosted three-tiered cake supported by a Prince Charming sculpted carriage and a dozen lit tapered candles. They also had a traditional Indian ceremony. Nolene soon discovered that her new husband wasn't all that he presented himself to be. She quickly became relegated to trophy wife. Bougerdi was super controlling. Nolene was made to hand over her mobile phone when he wasn't there. He would insist that she have the blinds closed at all times. He told her that the government was after him. He also told her that he had a gun license and when she was like not behaving for him. There's a whole heap of unrecognized coercive control. There's separation for him and her support systems. And this went on systematically for years. In the meantime, Nolan gave birth to the couple's two boys within a few years. She seems to have remained an upbeat and like, to be honest, she's also quite gorgeous. Just photographs of her. She's, she looks like a model, you know. In 2003, Bourgetti started a brief relationship with another Sydney woman, Amanda Mossy. He told her and her family that he was Romanian and he like love bombed her, the same as he had with Nolene. He gave her extravagant gifts like gold necklaces and such and he arrived in like a fleet of top-notch vehicles like Mercedes and Peugeots and new Jeeps. He also told her as a spiritual consultant He was uncontactable after 8pm. It seems like he completely controlled the times at which they could see each other, at times at which she could contact him, where they would go, who they would see. In effect, he was keeping her away from his community and his wife, and then he was keeping his wife away from his mosque because everyone at the mosque thought that he had a wife back in Iran and had no idea he's actually sleeping with at this time, from what I can tell, three women. So this woman, Mossy, described the relationship with Bourgerdi as secretive and formal. Their relationship ended on his terms after about six months. On the 16th of September 2006, Bourgerdi officially changed his name to the super not 
Iranian name of Michael Hasan Mavros. He is now dating other women, you know, because he's such a big shot. And one of those women is a Sydney woman called Anastasia Drudis. Now, Anastasia is from a um, Greek background and she became enraptured with Michael, as he was now calling her himself. Um, in his married life, his wife was experiencing control and violence. And as the now Michael was being drawn into an ever more extreme political and radical religious views, he had begun to scare Nolene. Anastasia, on the other hand, was getting what Nolene had gotten in the beginning of their relationship. Michael wooed her and loved bombed all over the place. There were lavish dinners and dates and rides in top shelf cars and infatuation. She knew he was married with kids, but she didn't care. Their relationship blossomed and under his guidance, Michael saw Anastasia through the rough transition and conversion from her lifelong uh, religion of Christianity to Islam. You can only imagine how fucking stoked her Greek Orthodox family must have been about this. She also changed her name to Amira. Now look, since she chose her own name, right, she's changing it. Let's assume that she knows that the meaning of this Muslim name is princess or rich woman. So from here on in, I will refer to her as Amira. In 2004, against all better judgment, for some reason, Michael, which is actually Bourgeois, was granted his Australian citizenship. An actual what the fuck moment right there. He is also being reported in to the government's new anti-terrorism hotline a fair bit. Like two different relations of the woman now known as Amira Druidus called to report the man that they were told was Egyptian-born Michael Mavros as behaving in elusive, suspect ways. Um, both thought that their cousin was being brainwashed by a charismatic man who had these really extreme dream views and a really anti-Australian agenda. Both of these people were told that Michael Davros was not known to be a threat and they should kind of relax. Mohamed Bojerdi, however, is on the ASIO watch list. So whoever let this one through to the keeper did not dot all their I's and cross all their T's if you catch my meaning. So this is the point at which things begin to get really fucked up for Nolene. By 2004, and now calling himself Sheikh Haron, uh, Borgetti had begun producing some pretty shitty low-quality home videos and recordings um, of whom he now called Sister Amira, spouting anti-Australian political rants. In these, Amira describes herself as a terrorist and says things like, Australians will die! Australians will die! You know, fucking prophetic, right? She called on all her fellow Muslims, you know, because she'd been one for a whole of 10 minutes, to attack then President of the United States, Barack Obama. She cheered on the 9-11 attacks and she talked about the Bali bombings of 2005 in which 20 people died and over 100 people were injured, saying it was God's retribution against all of us, the infidels. So... 
Sig Haron is filming Amira and while she's saying all of this and can be heard narrating in the background, posing her and guiding her. There is some like footage that wasn't posted but was found after of her like saying, I don't understand what I'm saying. I need to start again. And he totally guides her through it again. And um, this is all going online into his website. Uh, there are 40 odd calls about this man and Amira to, and the website to the ASIO hotline. Red fucking flag, people, right? In 2006, Brigitte, who is always running from something, pulls his usual disappearing act and officially changes his name for the third time in a decade. And at last we arrive with his new personality, Man Haron Monas. Let me put this down and see if you pick it up. In Arabic, Man Haron means warrior lion. Haron, spelt slightly differently, is mentioned in the Quran 20 times as the prophet who lived before the Arabs. What a load of cocky turd, right? Well, look, this is where I'm going to leave it off for today. Because quite frankly, I really do need a gin after all of that. I didn't want to drink before because I already slayed every Middle Eastern word in that history, right? That would have just been so much worse if I'd had a drink. So until we next meet again, sleep with one eye open and call the cops on all of your dodgy neighbours. again it's me and can I ask you a favor if you liked this episode of Murderlaid or any previous episodes please take a moment to rate and review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or alternately head on over to Facebook and rate the show at the Murderlaid the podcast page 
Every rate and review helps other strange ones find us and join the family. Oh yeah, and I totally mean that in a creepy Manson family or the Aussie cult the family kind of way. Thanks for listening.